It was a year ago this week that we voted for the President of the United States. Republican and Democratic candidates were, of course, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Oh, cover the children's eyes. <laughs> I, I know it's Family Worship Sunday. I, I, I thought I would give you an opportunity to apologize to your children. <laughs> In the days before the election, both pundits and polls said that it would be a Clinton victory. Forecasters clearly gave her the edge, ranging between a 71 and 98% certainty. In fact, on November 8th, a year ago Wednesday, election day, the New York Times gave Clinton an 85% chance to win. The Huffington Post put it at 98%. Most major news outlets predicted the same An ABC News political analyst put it at 95% two days before the election. As a result, Chris Matthews of MSNBC said nobody predicted this. Understatement. Jake Tapper of CNN said, I don't know one poll that suggested Donald Trump would have this kind of night. Many who stayed up to watch the returns were shocked. Others like me were Shocked to wake up to a President Donald Trump. By the way, none of this is intended to be political commentary, simply um, noting an election that shocked many. But I would suggest that it was not as shocking as an election that took place some 2,000 years ago. You see, then the candidates were not equally match significantly flawed people. In fact, I would suggest going into the election that there should have been a rather clear winner. Pilate thought so. Why, the week before, uh, one candidate rode into town and to the loud acclamation of the crowds. They didn't have political signs, so they waved palm branches instead. (laughs) The other candidate, well, he was in prison facing certain death. One candidate had had a great campaign, healed and fed many, (laughs) drove out demons, campaign speeches. He spoke like no other. Wildly popular. He even raised the dead. (laughs) The other candidate, well, he did the opposite. He took life in his campaign seeking to overthrow the government. It seemed clear the election was a foregone conclusion. Now, true, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey. He didn't look very presidential, (laughs) kingly. He looked more like a peasant. He should probably lose the white flowing robe, blue satin sash, and and the halo look. Oh, and, and he didn't have a great campaign team behind him either. His group consisted of 12, no, make that 11 by now, scared followers who deserted him right before the election. His campaign manager denied that he even knew him. One writer said he had no appearance that we would be attracted to him, uh, what you would expect of a popular candidate. So when it came time for the crowd to cast their votes, they cast them against this man and voted for a murderer instead. Shocking. So what to do now with the loser? That's exactly what Pilate wanted to know. We read about it in our text as we return to the Gospel of Mark this morning, Mark chapter 15. 
verses 1 and following say this. Early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and scribes and the whole council, that is the Sanhedrin, immediately held a consultation and binding Jesus, they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. Pilate questioned him. Don't miss that. All Pilate does through this narrative is ask questions. Pilate questioned him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, it is as you say. The chief priest began to accuse him harshly. Then Pilate questioned him again, saying, do you not answer? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them any one prisoner whom they requested. The man named Barabbas had been imprisoned with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the insurrection. The crowd went up and began asking him to do as he had been accustomed to do for them. Pilate answered them, saying, asking another question. It's not the time for questions, Pilate. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he was aware that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to ask him to release Barabbas for them instead. Answering again, Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, crucify him. Pilate said to them, why, what evil has he done? And they shouted all the more, crucify him, wishing to satisfy the crowd. Pilate released Barabbas for them, And after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. I knew when I began, Mark, that I would eventually get to these chapters. The illegal trial by the Jews, the mistreatment by Pilate and and the Romans, the spitting, the beatings, the mocking, the scourging, the crown of thorns, and the crucifixion. It is with, with mixed feelings that I arrive. On one hand, I understand as much as I can that his passion resulted in our rescue. On the other, his suffering was cruel, unjust, inhumane. There is no way that my feeble words can communicate the depth of what happened that day. Well, I believe the entire Bible is inspired, God's Word. We arrive this morning at the most important chapters in the Bible, the chapters which tell of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As such, we are on holy ground. Everything in history points forward and back to these three days. Take these three days out of the Bible And the rest becomes meaningless. As we cover his passion over the next couple of weeks, I want to remind you that Jesus was a king. Not not just any king. He's the king of the universe. Oh, he, he may not look like it. He may not present himself as the most viable candidate he was. My question for you this morning is the same question that Pilate asked the crowd. What will you do with him who is called the king of the Jews? It is the question of the ages. 
What will you do with Jesus? As I've told you, Jesus endured two trials, one Jewish, one Roman. Each consisted of of three parts, the Jewish trial before Annas, Caiaphas, and the Sanhedrin, the Roman trial before Pilate, then Herod, then back to Pilate. None of the Gospels individually um, carries a full description of these events, but we can piece them together to produce an accurate account. We've already covered the Jewish trial. We arrived this morning at the Roman. My outline will simply follow those three parts before Pilate, before Herod, and before Pilate again. We're going to do a little bit more flipping um, through the Gospels. I'll put them on the screen to make it more easy to follow. All I'm going to do is, is tell this grand story. The Roman trial began when the Sanhedrin concluded their business early that morning and led Jesus bound to Pilate. Remember, the Sanhedrin had limited authority. They could try people according to their Jewish laws, but only the Roman authorities could give the death penalty which they desperately sought. Let me tell you about this Pontius Pilate because there are some things about him that help us understand what's going on here. He, he had been appointed the, the sixth governor of Judea in 26 AD. Now, actually, governor is a general term. More precisely, he was a prefect appointed by Tiberius Caesar. A prefect was generally a military man, as was Pilate, and usually governed small, troubled hotspots where they exercised almost unlimited power. Their job primarily was to keep the peace. Failure to do so would result in their... Uh, replacement and perhaps banishment. Extra-biblical sources uh, portray Pilate as a cruel, insensitive ruler who hated his Jewish subjects, made very little effort toward them, caused him lots of trouble. For example, when he, was, when he first came to Judea, again, a political hotspot, he wanted to display strength, that he was not a man to be trifled with. So the very first thing that he did was had his soldiers march into Jerusalem carrying their standards, complete with an image of the divine emperor engraved on top. <laughs> None of the previous five governors had done that. They were smarter, not Pilate. He thought, I'll, I'll show them who's boss. He, he had his soldiers march into Jerusalem under the cover of darkness at night. So the next morning, the city... woke up uh, to what they considered idolatrous, blasphemous, graven images. They went berserk. A a horde of protesters traveled to Caesarea, that's on the Mediterranean Sea coast, uh, where Pilate lived, to personally protest. Pilate, well, he chose to ignore them, refused to see them for five days, only one problem, they wouldn't go away. When he finally um, showed up, he came with his soldiers, surrounded the protesters, Pilate threatened them, go home or be executed by beheading. It is said that several protesters bared their necks and laid down at the soldiers' feet. We will not leave until you promise to remove the images. Kill us if you must. (laughs) Pilate had to give in. The last thing he needed on his first day in the job is a massacre, but it incensed him. From then on, he he did things to intentionally provoke the Jews. For example, once he used money from the temple treasury to build an aqueduct uh, to Jerusalem. The the whole town was again, all city was again in an uproar. This time he sent soldiers dressed as civilians, armed with swords and clubs into the crowd at a prearranged signal. This time the soldiers did pull their weapons out and begin killing people. 
great guy. There was another event that got Pilate in trouble, not just with the Jews, but with Tiberius Caesar. That's important, you see. Remember, Pilate was supposed to be maintaining the peace, but every time he turned around, the Jews were threatening to riot. This time, Pilate decided to have some shields made and dedicated to to Tiberius, probably trying to smooth some ruffled feathers. They were hung for all to see in Herod's palace in Jerusalem. He's not a very bright guy. Guess what the inscription on the shields read? They included titles of Tiberius, one of which declared him divine. The people went nuts again, only this time Tiberius found out. He personally wrote a letter to Pilate telling him in no uncertain terms, threatening him, take the stupid shields down. All of those events preceded our text today. The point is, Pilate was already in a tenuous position in Judea. The Jews hated him. His superior, namely Tiberius, was breathing down his neck. He felt a tremendous amount of pressure to keep the peace, but he hated the Jews. So he didn't necessarily want to give in to them. That's what you see happening with Jesus. Frankly, Pilate did not care about a Galilean peasant, but he did enjoy opposing Jewish leadership. So all Pilate, again, all he does is ask questions, trying to manipulate the situation, trying not to give in. But he also knew if the people rioted one more time and Tiberius heard about it, it would likely end his career, which, by the way, a few years later, that exact thing happened in 36 AD. So Pilate doesn't give a rip about Jesus. It was Passover. Hundreds of thousands of Jews, perhaps millions, if Josephus is right, were gathered in Jerusalem. That's why Pilate was there from his seacoast home in Caesarea to make sure a riot didn't break out. That was his job. The Jewish leadership show up at the praetorium, that's his house in Jerusalem, likely Herod's palace, with this man named Jesus. Now, 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 no doubt Pilate had heard of Jesus. Everyone had heard of Jesus. But one look told him that Jesus did not pose any kind of political or military threat. I mean, the fact is, Jesus didn't much look like a king. John tells us what happened first in John chapter 18. They led, then they, the Sanhedrin, led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early, and they themselves did not enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled but might eat the Passover. Jesus had eaten it the evening before. They were going to eat it that day, and, and they were concerned about entering the home of a Gentile and being defiled, but they would take Jesus and have him murdered. Therefore, Pilate went out and said to them, what accusation do you bring against this man? Which is good. Pilate is following Roman law to try a man. You had to know what charges were being leveled. (laughs) Remember, by this time, Jesus had been kept up all night, had already been beaten by the Sanhedrin. He was likely very bloodied and bruised. Pilate takes one disdainful look at this Galilean peasant and says, what are the charges? Verse 30, they answered him, if this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. (laughs) Do you see what they said? They didn't even answer his question. Pilate, he's an evil guy. If he wasn't, we wouldn't have brought him. You can trust us, pal. Pilate knew right away that something was amiss. So Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. He saw through their ruse. It was obvious their problem uh, with Jesus had to do with their religious laws, so he didn't want to uh, have anything to do with the situation. So at this point, the Jews said to him, we are not permitted to put anyone to death, right? 
But this was to fulfill the word of Jesus, which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. You see, Jesus, chapters earlier, remember, he said that he was going to be handed over to the Gentiles and that he would die by crucifixion, a Roman form of execution. Pilate had to judge Jesus, and Pilate had to hand him over to crucifixion because Jesus said so. Well, that brings us to chapter, Luke chapter 23, where we finally see some charges leveled against Jesus. And they begin to accuse him, saying, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ the king. So Pilate um, asked him, saying, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, it is as you say. That brings us back to our text in Mark chapter 15. But I want you to notice the charges that they brought against Jesus. It had nothing to do with blasphemy. Pilate would not have cared about that. Remember when Caiaphas was, was interrogating Jesus, are you the Christ, the Son of God? And he said, yes, I am. So they invent some things about him, things that they thought would get Jesus the death penalty. First they said, he is misleading our nation. Oh, really? How was Jesus doing that? I don't know, healing people, driving out demons, feeding people, raising the dead, and teaching the people, oh, it was that last one that irritated the Jewish leadership because it exposed them for what they were. They also said he was forbidding people to pay taxes to Caesar, which is patently false. A few days earlier, when asked about paying taxes, he had actually said, render to Caesar the things which are Caesar's and to God the things which are God's. In other words, pay your taxes. But it was that third accusation that caught Pilate's ear. They said, Jesus also claims to be Christ, that is, a king. This one, by the way, was true. All four Gospels then pick up the dialogue, including our own Mark 15, verse 2, when Pilate asks, are you the king of the Jews? You see, you don't much look like a king. To which Jesus responded, it is as you say. Now, you should know that Jesus at this point is being somewhat ambiguous. He is saying, yes, I am a king, but, but no, not like a king that you expect. We need to switch back, uh, switch Gospels again, back to the dialogue in John chapter 18. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world, Pilate. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting. Who were his servants in the same conversation with Pilate? He said, don't you know that I could call 12 legions of angels and they would come fight for me? That's over 72,000 angels. Those were the servants he was talking about. My servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are a king? And Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify of the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Are you listening, Pilate? Pilate said to him famously, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. Yes, Pilate, I I am a king, but you don't have to worry about some simple insurrection. If I were a king of this world, my servants would be waging war. But they aren't because my kingdom transcends this world. My kingdom is a universal kingdom. So Pilate asked him clearly, are you a king? Yes, I am. But it was obvious to Pilate that Jesus posed no personal threat. He had no position, no wealth, no soldiers. He was merely a Galilean peasant, not very kingly. 
After affirming his kingship, all four Gospels then record that Jesus remains silent. The Jewish leadership continued their assault against Jesus. He remained silent, which floored Pilate. He had tried by now hundreds of prisoners, and no doubt, without exception, they had all pled their cases. They either pled for mercy or claimed, proclaimed their innocence or, or countercharged their uh, uh, accusers. Jesus said nothing. Why? His time had come to die. The accusations were false. Everyone knew it. Largely false, I should say. Everyone knew it. The Jewish leaders knew it. Pilate knew it. Even Pilate's wife knew it. She's not even there, but she sent word to him to have nothing to do with this innocent man. Everyone knew that Jesus was innocent. Everyone knew this was a, this was a sham. Verse 10, Pilate says, or, 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 says that Pilate knew that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. They're just jealous of the guy. So at this point, why answer? Besides, Isaiah 53 says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb before his shears. He was silent. It's probably about this time that we get to the second phase of the trial before Herod. Only Luke records it after Pilate found no basis of of a charge against him. The Jewish leadership kept persisting, kept up their attack, making accusations. Finally, at one point, they, they said, he stirs up the people, teaching all over Judea, starting in Galilee. That got Pilate's attention. He asked, wait, wait, this guy's a Galilean? Great, that means he's out of my jurisdiction. He falls under Herod Antipas's authority, who just happens to be in Jerusalem for Passover. Take Jesus to Herod. Pilate thought he had discovered a way to pass the buck. So Luke uh, tells us Jesus was taken to Herod. Luke 23 says, Now Herod was very glad when he saw Jesus, for he had wanted to see him for a long time, wanting to repent of his sin. No, not exactly. Because he had been hearing about him and was hoping to see some sign performed by him. Show me a trick. And he questioned him at some length, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and the scribes were standing there accusing him vehemently. And Herod, with his soldiers, after treating him with contempt and mocking him, dressed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. This is Herod Antipas, who had arrested, imprisoned, and beheaded John the Baptist. Through his ministry, Jesus seems to have steered clear of Herod. Herod had always wanted to meet Jesus. Why? Because he wanted, again, to see Jesus do some trick. He questioned him for a long time, but Jesus answered nothing. Even when the chief priests, scribes vehemently accused him, finally, finally, Herod and his soldiers began mocking him and his kingship. You don't look much like a king. Here, let us help you. And they dressed him in a gorgeous robe, perhaps one from Herod's own collection, and sent him back to Pilate. This is the king of the universe. It brings us back to Mark and the continuing trial before Pilate. At this point, Pilate was still trying to release Jesus. Luke even says both Herod and Pilate had found him innocent, and Pilate um, offered to scourge him and and let him go. Think about that. Listen, the guy's innocent. Why don't I just beat him? 
John actually records three different times Pilate declared Jesus innocent. In Roman law, the accused is brought, the charges are made, the evidence is presented, the defendant is given a chance to defend himself, and the verdict is passed. All of that had been done. End of trial. Jesus had been found innocent. But that was not good enough for the Jewish leadership who wanted Jesus dead. Pilate found himself in a predicament looking for a way out. He shouldn't have been. He's innocent. He should have let him go. Suddenly, an idea came to him, and for a moment, he thought he had found it. All four Gospels record this part. There was apparently some Jewish custom that said that the Roman governor was required to release a prisoner of their choosing during the Passover celebration. It's now later in the morning, and the crowds had begun uh, to gather. Pilate, no doubt, had heard uh, about the Sunday before when the crowds had been delirious when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. He was obviously wildly popular. The polls put him way ahead. I know, Pilate thought. I'll ask them if they want me to release the prisoner Jesus to them. In fact, verse 9 says, I'll put it to a vote. Do you want King Jesus or murderer Barabbas? No way Jesus can lose this election, right? Right? Who's Barabbas? Name literally means son of the father, Barabbas, son of the father. It's possible he was a son of some famous rabbi. This is suggested. Most, most of us, I think, have an incorrect picture of him. He's often portrayed in paintings and movies and things like that as this ugly, grimy, filthy, raving lunatic. That's not who Barabbas was. Matthew calls him a notable or a noteworthy prisoner. Mark calls him an insurrectionist who apparently had committed murder during the insurrection. Know this, know this, insurrectionists were folk heroes among the Jews. The Jews hated the Romans, and anyone who tried to revolt against the Romans, the Jews loved. (laughs) So here it appears the crowd had gathered to ask Pilate to release the prisoner, and I would add Barabbas was more like the Messiah deliverer that the Jews were looking for. one who would lead them to throw off Roman oppression. Jesus, he actually had the audacity to say something about loving your enemies. Barabbas, you see, looked more like a king than Jesus. And Pilate made a tactical blunder. He assumed that Jesus would be more popular than Barabbas, and that may have been true in Galilee, but they weren't in Galilee anymore, Toto. So prompted by the chief priests and the elders, the crowd cast their vote. Give us Barabbas. Pilate was stunned. So he asked the question every person on the planet must eventually ask and answer. So then, what shall I do with him whom you call king of the Jews? What do I do with this guy who claims to be a king but doesn't much look like a king? What do I do with Jesus? That, that's your question. A question everyone must eventually answer. And you say, well, I mean, he really doesn't look much like a king. He doesn't, he doesn't look much like a god. What are you looking for? 
A god with a body like Zeus or Hercules? Carrying a trident or a Thor's hammer? Coming in profane judgment in a jealous rage? Or one who comes with undeserved grace? People replied, crucify him. Pilate says, why? What evil has he done? And they get louder, crucify him. Notice verse 15, wishing to satisfy the crowd. Matthew says further that Pilate saw he was accomplishing nothing. Rather, a riot was starting. He's in that tenuous political position, supposed to be keeping the peace. One more failure, he's likely done. So Pilate made a pragmatic decision. It was not a decision, you see, based on truth or justice or or right. He, He simply gave in to the demands of the Jews. He sacrificed an innocent man to keep his job. Only Matthew records what Pilate did next. In a gesture to proclaim his own innocence, he took some water, washed his hands in front of them. This was not a Roman custom. It was Jewish. He was doing something they would have understood. He was saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. But he wasn't. He is the one who delivered Jesus over to be crucified. Oh, you're not innocent either. People cried out, his blood be on us and our children. (laughs) They had no idea what they were saying. For the guilt of putting Messiah to death, some suggest that his blood fell on them viciously in judgment in 70 AD when the Romans overran Jerusalem, perhaps. But for those who later received Jesus as the Messiah, his blood was indeed on them. Verse 15 says, further, Pilate released Barabbas for them, and after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. We, we all know this, right? We know what a Roman scourging meant. They used a whip, multiple leather straps, within which were lodged glass and bones and pieces of metal. Jewish law said that you couldn't exceed 40 lashes. There was no limit to a Roman scourging. The victim would be tied to a pole, arms up over his head, stretching uh, the skin tight. Usually two soldiers would administer the beating, one on each side. The whip with the pieces of metal and bone would rip the flesh open. After a Roman scourging, the flesh would be in ribbons, bones, and organs exposed. Frequently, a person did not survive. It was meant to weaken them for crucifixion. We know that. John says, after the scourging, Pilate brought Jesus out to them and said, Behold the man. He didn't look much like a king. I would have you consider two ironies involved in this story as we close. First, 
Jesus was clearly innocent and Barabbas clearly guilty. Jesus, the innocent, was chosen for crucifixion. Barabbas, the guilty, was released. In fact, they suggest Jesus was crucified on Barabbas' cross. Some suggest the ones crucified with Jesus were part of the insurrection, the middle cross for Barabbas. Innocent Jesus took Barabbas's guilty Barabbas's place, which is an awful lot like us. We were the guilty ones, as bad as murderous insurrectionists. In my place, condemned he stood. We as a race of people, I don't care what race, as a race of people have rebelled against our sovereign king. Jesus took our sins in his body on the cross so that we could go free. Finally, consider the name Barabbas means son of Abba or son of the father. Quite interesting. In fact, there are some manuscripts in Matthew's gospel which some early manuscripts that suggest that his name was actually Jesus Barabbas. Don't be bothered by that. Jesus was a fairly common name. The truth is the crowd voted for the wrong Jesus. They voted for the wrong son of the father. Or did they? You see, if Barabbas the guilty had been crucified, you would still be guilty too. So in the vote, Barabbas was chosen over Judas, all according to the predetermined plan of God. He died in our place that we, the guilty, may go free. Stand for prayer. Father, the problem with the challenge, I should say, with this story is we've all heard it and we've sanitized it and we, and we wear crosses around our necks and in our ears and, and tattoo them on our bodies and adorn our buildings and, and we don't even have an inkling as to what actually happened on this day. Father, would you impress upon us as your people made so by the work of Christ on his cross, would you impress upon us the magnitude of this event? Would you help us understand that we were as guilty, dead in transgressions and sin, as guilty as Barabbas, deserving of our own ignominious, eternal death. But because you loved us, you sent your son who paid an enormous price to rescue us. My feeble words cannot begin to express the gratitude and the thanksgiving that we should feel. And so, it will take all of eternity for us to do so. In Christ's name.
Amen.